Have you ever wondered whether video games actually help or hinder your mental health? Today on What Messes With Your Head, that's exactly what we're talking about. We dive into some stats about video games and their effect on mental health during the pandemic, our own experiences with video games, different ways that people enjoy games, and discuss what we think are the differences between healthy gaming to decompress from everyday life and becoming addicted to gaming. As always, John and I are employees of the University of Adelaide. However, the opinions that we share on this podcast are our own and not those of the uni. Now, I'll quickly pass over to Ali Buckskin for the Welcome to Country, then we'll get right into our video game chat. For over 60,000 years, this always was and always will be Ghana country. This land was never ceded. I walk proudly in the footsteps left by my ancestors, the Ghana, Narunga and Warungu people, the traditional owners of the lands that I'm speaking on today. I honour and respect my elders past, present and those that are emerging. I'm connected to these land, skies and waters through those who came before me and I will continue the guardianship of this country for those who come after me. I pay respect to all Aboriginal people from all nations listening today and the cultural authority that you bring from your country. I acknowledge my Papa Buckskin and on behalf of him and all the Ghana people, I welcome you here today. Yakanantalia Yungarantalia, Nainari Ali Katanya Buckskin. Naitangi Wilta Ghana Naranga Nanki. Marawachanga Ghana Miena. Naimani Napudni Ghana Yatana Wangandi. Mani Pudni Natalia. Hey, you're listening to What Messes With Your Head, a podcast about breaking stigmas and just having general chats about life and what we think needs to be talked about a little bit more. Hey everyone, welcome to What Messes With Your Head. Today we're talking about video games and mental health. Not just video games, we wouldn't be allowed to do an episode just on that, unfortunately. But Ah. maybe, maybe we'll see next semester. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I just want to start us off with some research that we found. Um, Now this is pretty cool. There was actually a Prisma systematic review, um, which is a pretty big deal. That's a review of other research. So I think there's something like 24 pieces of research that were reviewed in this. <laughs> and what they found was, and I'm actually going to quote from the article here, video games, especially augmented reality and online multiplayer ones, mitigated stress, anxiety, depression, and loneliness among adolescents and young adults during the stay-at-home restrictions of COVID-19. However, in the case of at-risk individuals, for example, particularly male youths, playing video games had detrimental effects. So that's interesting. Um, For most people, it actually helped a lot of mental illness, mental health effects. Um, However, there are those certain cases where it had adverse effects. Mm. Uh, And just to dig a little bit deeper into those adverse effects, um, here's another quote. GD, or gaming disorder, which is also known as gaming addiction, has risen among the individuals, especially adolescents, most at risk. From the studies of this review, important differences in the prevalence of gaming disorder emerged depending on demographic and cultural factors. The gaming disorder prevalence pre-COVID-19 varies according to the screening tool, but its global prevalence was estimated to be at roughly 3.05%. In the studies included in this review, higher values were reported, both for children and adolescents and young and middle-aged adults. 
More in detail, the prevalence of gaming disorder symptoms ranged from a minimum of 4.1% among middle-aged Japanese adults to a maximum of 19% among Italian children and adolescents. So it seems that uh, COVID-19 and the isolation that came with that did actually contribute to a lot higher rates of gaming disorder as well, which is pretty unfortunate. Um, Now, we'll post a link to this research in the description and it's worth reading because it is very complex and they discuss all the different factors that are going on. Uh, But just from the quotes there, Steph, do you Mm. have any thoughts? How does that sound compared to your experience? (laughs) (laughs) Um, That's really interesting to me that the prevalence was a minimum of 4.1% in Japanese male adults. Uh, Um, Middle-aged Japanese adults. Okay, okay. Yeah. Middle-aged Japanese adults. 4.1% and then the maximum of 19% among Italian children and adolescents. Yes, that's correct. I find yeah. that I find that very interesting because I wonder what the difference is between how those Italian children and adolescents interacted with the games versus the middle-aged Japanese adults. Like, yeah, totally, totally. To me, you, like you hear the the term otaku a lot, yep. which is like almost too much of being like an introverted inside person who games all the time or watches That's anime all the time. That's a Japanese term. Yep. Mm. And it's like a, a very cultural thing in, in Japan, like not uncommon to hear that term, I suppose. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I think just knowing that that's a thing in Japanese culture makes it very interesting that the minimum of gaming disorder symptoms, the minimum was in Japanese adults. Yeah, actually, that's a really good point. And I think th- this will be a good point for one of those cut narrations of future Steph to come in with the uh, more stats. <laughs> um, but I, I wonder whether maybe Japan, it's uh, the, the very fact there's a the word for it, um, the culture, the society is more aware of it and then maybe better at adapting to it or dealing with it kind of thing. Mm. Maybe, maybe there are certain cultures that because they haven't had this before, they haven't they haven't been on guard against it kind of thing and that's why it's run rampant hi there future steph here after taking a quick look into it it seems that gaming disorder in japan is something that's been getting attention and research in recent years but there's not much i can find that compares japanese gaming habits with those of the rest of the world as we mentioned there is a growing number of people in japan becoming more and more reliant on video games but it's all isolated research about japan and not comparing it to any other cultures in the world there's some more interesting questions that are raised in this research but i will be leaving that until a bit later in the episode for now back to the discussion yeah because kind of like expanding on that if you think about italian culture a lot more it's very much more like outgoing social not really like introverted in a room all the time type of yeah from what i understand of it yeah (laughs) um i wouldn't be able to make any conclusions myself but 19 percent that's uh (laughs) that's Mm. one fifth of kids yeah that is crazy (laughs) um actually one thing that wasn't mentioned there was how the different countries locked down as well so it's possible um i i don't remember i think italy was hit very hard so they may have had more severe lockdowns than japan did 
Just a little bit of clarification about how Italy and Japan were affected by the lockdowns. Uh, Italy was the first country to enact a COVID-19 lockdown nationwide, and it had a shutdown of all non-essential businesses and industries and had a full lockdown from the 23rd of March until the 3rd of May. And then we compare that to Japan, which basically never had a proper lockdown, especially over the entire country, just because that is not something that the government is legally able to mandate. The government did encourage businesses to close their doors and do takeout for things like coffee and drinks and and food, but there was never a fully mandated lockdown. So the difference between the two countries could have had an effect on whether or not people relied on things like video games and that sort of a thing to cope with the realities of the COVID-19 pandemic. What what do you think of the other side of things? So that first quote talking about... um for, for the people who weren't at risk, uh, mm. they found that uh, augmented reality and online multiplayer games mitigated stress, anxiety, mm. depression, and loneliness among adolescents and young adults. To me, that makes sense. But I find it interesting that at-risk individuals had like more detrimental effects with that as well. Because I just wonder what the definition of gaming disorder and gaming addiction is in this context. Because like, what comes to mind is this interview that I saw once with nerdiest thing on the planet. Sorry, you're gonna hear you're gonna hear like the nerdiest right. thing ever. This is an episode <laughs> about gaming. We're all right. <laughs> True. Um, so I am a massive World of Warcraft fan, and there was an interview that I saw once of a dude who was an actor in the Warcraft movie. Um, and he played an orc, and he was talking about how he got really obsessed with World of Warcraft and like how it helped him in his life. And like he said what I think is the most truthful thing that I've ever heard, which was he got kind of obsessed with World of Warcraft because he was going through this really tough time in his life and, like, going through some real depression and all that sort of stuff. And he just kind of, like, logged on and had, like, a group of people that were really happy to see him and they knew him for him. They had never never seen him in real life and he could just do whatever. And then... You know, eventually, because he's an adult guy, (laughs) he eventually was like, okay, i got to, like, stop and actually do adult things and get a job and eventually started acting and ended up being in the Warcraft movie. And I think he was in Vikings as well and some other things. Yeah, right. Yeah, so he's, like, a fairly, like, not super high-profile actor, but he's not bad. (laughs) Yep, yep. And one part of the interview, he said, like, I credit my good mental health to playing video games, to playing World of Warcraft with other people. However, he said he was never as happy as he was when he was just playing World of Warcraft and could just, like, chill by himself in his room and do whatever he wanted. And the people online knew him for him and he didn't have to worry about keeping up any kind of appearances or anything like that. And I find that really interesting. Yeah, totally. I wonder if, like, the gaming addiction side of things is related to that feeling of being part of a community, I suppose, and, like, no one judging you for the things that the rest of society sort of judges you for. Yeah, totally, totally. Um, And it would be interesting also to see, okay, in that subset of people who are classed as having gaming disorder, if they have had gaming disorder or they've been playing games for, you know, a long time and actually built up those communities. Mm. 
are they then having the opposite effect? Like, are they then happier than people who are just, like, starting to get addicted kind of thing? Yeah, true. Because community is super important. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And then, like, on the flip side of that, community is super important, but also how much of the, like, mental ill health related to the people who play video games comes from, like, external judgment or feeling of external yeah. judgment for yep. enjoying that sort of stuff as well. Yeah. I mean, the, yeah, there's a lot to unpack there. Um, mm. And obviously, you can get involved in communities and online games and stuff like that without being addicted, without spending too long, without having kind of gaming disorder mm. uh, kind of thing. So that's not the only path you have to kind of go down. <laughs> yeah. But it, I mean, like just, just before this episode, I was even just quickly Googling like on Reddit, you know, questions asked, can games help your mental health? And a lot of the answers, I think, are reflecting this where a lot of people were kind of saying uh, they can when it's under control. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, a number of the answers were talking about, like, how people find if they can play games for a while at the end of the day, it's really helpful for them to relax and just kind of, like, not be in work mode or, you know, mm-hmm. however it helps. Whereas the nights they find that they stay up to 4 a.m. and then don't sleep and then or, like, aren't doing uni work and stuff like that, they end up feeling really bad about themselves. And I, I think... I wonder if that connects to the whole concept of agency um, mm. and um, I'm trying to remember what's the word here. Sorry, this is important because I remember when I first <laughs> found out this word and I could finally Google it, it was like a game changer for me. <laughs> Self-efficacy, that's what it is. <laughs> let, let me read this out. This is from Wikipedia, you know, the trusted source. Ah, yes. Um, <laughs> In psychology, self-efficacy is an individual's belief in their capacity to act in the ways necessary to reach specific goals. And this is like it's a psychological concept, which they find self-efficacy is like so closely tied to like satisfaction levels and stuff like Mm. that. So it's not only self-control, but it's like self-control that you think that you can make things happen. Yeah. (laughs) That you can that you can reach the goals you set for yourself. Yeah. And so like I would imagine for people who, you know, accidentally stay up 4am, like let's say even if they don't like their job or whatever, mm. they probably would be feeling low levels of self-efficacy and then, mm. you know, you have the whole downward slope of satisfaction, life satisfaction sure. then. So, Although on the flip side of that, one of my favourite things ever to do is just to like plan a night of doing that and be like, oh, okay, yeah. got yep. snacks, I got like energy drinks, I'm going to just like play a bunch of games with my friends till like 4am, yep. I got nothing on in the morning. Let's go, you know. <laughs> yes. Like much better than going clubbing till like 4 a.m., you know. <laughs> I'm with you there. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay, so when you do that though, so when you plan that, do you plan it in a way where like, okay, let's say you have other responsibilities. Mm. Do you plan it in a way where you know you're going to do those other responsibilities at another time or do you just kind of like push it out of your mind? Um, depends on the responsibilities we're talking about. If it's something <laughs> that like I know I probably need to just kind of like separate myself from for a bit um because like if we're talking mental health there's the two sides of like of it of dealing with it which is kind of like distraction and giving yourself a break from thinking about it and active distraction from something that's causing issues or that's happening in your life is also super important and then there's like actually thinking about it and dealing with it and processing it and all that sort of stuff and um you know if there's something that I need to do or I need to deal with or an adult thing I need to be doing, active distraction is fine. Doing playing video games for a while for like till like four AM is completely fine, you know? And sometimes yeah. really necessary. Yeah. 
Yeah, totally. Totally. I mean, we all need that break or, or even, I mean, like it depends on the game you're playing as well. For me, um, I think probably it's hard to, for me to talk about mental health benefits specifically, but I, there's a lot of games that I've played that have had like other benefits, whether it's like me learning things or like learning to see the world in a new way, like, you know, any like great art can do kind of thing. Mm. Um, and I think that has role on mental health benefits as well. Definitely. Yeah. Well, so, even like, have you ever noticed that like, if you get a chance like to play a game that you're really enjoying and you got into it, yep. have you noticed that like your mood is a little bit better for a while afterwards? Uh, okay. That mm, I'm someone who like I struggle to find a game that I really like, and then if I do find a game I really like, I like almost feel like I have to throw myself into it for like days at a time, mm-hmm. uh, which is, you know. <laughs> No, that's definitely not something I'm advising people to do. Um, <laughs> however, however, yep. I th- I think after years of doing this, um, what I've actually found with myself is that by accepting that part of me, mm-hmm. I can actually then plan my life around it. Mm-hmm. So similar to what you were saying about, you know, the 4 a.m. planned kind of like thing with snacks. Like yep. I've literally had, you know, three days where I found a game that I really liked and it was like, I don't know, 25-hour game. And I was like, at that point in the week, I didn't have too much going on and I knew the next week was going to be busy. So I pretty much just blocked out the next three days for me to throw myself in. Nice. Um, <laughs> and when I do that, yeah, I think it puts me in a really good mood. I'm really enjoying it. Um, I feel sorry for my partner who has to listen to me talk about it. But <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but so that, that's that's actually a really interesting point because there's definitely been other times in my life where like I've I've done that. And I haven't had the time or I haven't set aside the time to do it. And I've like been at work the next day and I was like, mm. you know, maybe on the Wikipedia for that game, looking up all the guides and stuff <laughs> between things and feeling yeah. real crappy about that. <laughs> 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 Which, you know, only happened a couple of times. And But, you know, <laughs> yeah, I think even doing that, though, made me feel not good because it made me feel like I was not a good worker, I think. There, yeah. There's definitely self-esteem links to all that stuff yeah okay like understanding yourself understanding what works for you what you really enjoy and what improves your own mental health and then just having the self-assuredness i suppose self-assurance to know okay this is this is actually helpful for me and i enjoy this in a healthy way and all these people who see this and make a very quick judgment against it yeah are just don't they don't get me man you know (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, totally, totally. You know, and this this sounds so much like talking about Tinder dating mm. and how like the majority of dates and relationships now start on Tinder or other similar apps kind of thing. Mm. Whereas, I mean, it's not even recently. I think it's still the case where a lot of people just won't admit it because it's <laughs> it's like even though it is the popular case, it's not the popular narrative mm. yet. Mm. It's getting there. But I like totally internet friends, hopefully lockdown showed a lot of people that that's a real thing. True. <laughs> Uh, people have very short memories, though. You know, they do. once we get back to normal, it's maybe it's one of those things where the people who know this, who know that internet friends are like a real thing and they're really beneficial, they're already on the internet. They're already talking to each other. Yeah, <laughs> yeah <laughs> they know exactly. it in their their circles. But the people who aren't in that don't know it because they're not exposed to it. <laughs> so, yeah, um, yeah. But hey, look, we're in the era of Twitch stream. Well, we're. <laughs> We've been in the era of Twitch stream for a while now and stuff like that. So it's definitely not a foreign concept. 
Yeah. You know, interestingly, Big Bang Theory had an episode on video game addiction right near the beginning. Um, and there was actually a good line on it, which was like, was it Leonard got addicted to video games and um, the woman whose name I can't remember because I didn't watch it um, <laughs> said uh, that people often get addicted to video games because they're not feeling a level of satisfaction and achievement in their real lives. <laughs> Look, I'm not going to call Big Bang Theory clinical <laughs> definition, but I thought that was a good insight into it. So. Well, okay. That's actually a really good way to bring it back to talking about mental health because yeah. I feel like a lot of a lot of people who play video games, particularly ones that have, like, achievements that you get and, like, you just need to grind hard enough, which is, like, collect certain things or achieve certain goals, and then you do get the achievement you know, in the end, whether that's, like, a rare mount or a rare other item or, like, Sorry, money can you or please experience. describe what a mount is for our listeners? No. <laughs> <You> might, no, no. <laughs> um, Before we get kicked off the air. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's actually a really good point. Um, by mount, I mean, like, you know, your character can ride a horse to make them go faster. A mount is basically, like, a vehicle or a horse or a yeah, something, something like to. Yeah, something to make your movement speed faster yeah. so you don't have to, like, walk everywhere and take 20,000 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah, which is true. <laughs> I, I played uh, Flife when I was growing up, which is mm-hmm. a Korean MMO. It stands for Fly for Fun, free to play. It was pretty fun. Mm-hmm. Um, but, like, the whole thing in that is you play, like, the first 10 levels, which was, I don't know, like, half an hour, and then you get your, your mount, mm-hmm. which is, like, a broomstick or like wings or something like that and you can mm-hmm. finally fly out of like the little starting village and to all the different islands because it's all like floating islands in the sky so mm. yeah mounts are a big deal i have never heard of that before yeah there's there's fly for fun there was i also played maple story a bit which was another oh, free to play korean one yeah all the cool Let's kids the- played maple story <laughs> <laughs> that's definitely not clinical <laughs> i don't know if yeah. all the cool kids played maple story but um, <laughs> But I played it a bit um, and actually my sister played it a lot and we often like reminisce about setting up our own like private server of MapleStory and just like giving ourselves admin privileges on that so we could just have full reign of the world. Nice. <laughs> and uh, still listen to the soundtrack to that sometimes because that's that's a very nostalgic soundtrack. Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Whereas our, you play World of Warcraft. Do you play mm. other things as well? I try different video games with people if they say that that like there's a good game that they recommend or they want to play with me or something. Um, but mostly if I'm just like playing it by myself or for my own benefit or like to take a break from things, I usually just play like RPGs, so role-playing games of different yeah. types. So that's like um, World of Warcraft is one. You make a character and then you you just play as that character in a completely f- fantasy sort of world. Um, I haven't played too much final fantasy but that is another one that i do like when i play it yeah just anything that's like really pretty world and good storyline and you get to just be a character and run around and take pictures and kill things and yeah (laughs) classic mmo thing yeah (laughs) yeah what about you do you have like favorite kinds of games that you like playing yeah that's a really good question so like i actually don't play mmos that much i find when i play mmos I end up not wanting to play with other people and I just try to play them single player. <laughs> I don't know why, but it's just the player type that I am. If I actually, let, let me segue to something real quick and then I'll come back. There is something in game design called 
Bartle's taxonomy of player types. Ooh. So, um, okay. if you thought that video games were in academia, you are very wrong. Um, <laughs> there is plenty out there. And this is one of the things. Uh, so, Richard Bartle wrote a paper in 1996 um, where he came up with kind of like a, a spectrum of different player types. Mm-hmm. And so, you've got the four qu- quadrants. Um, in the top left, you've got the killers. In the top right, you've got the achievers. Bottom left, you've got socializers. And bottom right, you've got explorers. Mm-hmm. Uh, now, he was focusing on online games at mm-hmm. the time, and we're talking 96, so, you know, that's a very different world to what we're in now. Yeah, we're talking but, like EverQuest era. Yeah, original RuneScape. RuneScape. <laughs> I love playing RuneScape. Yeah, that's the OG one. <laughs> yep. um, and this, this model has been kind of fleshed out and transformed since, but the, the thing still stands that there are different types of players and they want different things out of games. Here we talk a bit about Bartel's taxonomy of player types, but it's important to note that it's not the be-all and end-all of the way that we play video games. If you're someone who's interested in the Maya Briggs personality type test, it's really similar to that, but for like playing games and video game player types. But most researchers that use this or discuss Bartel's taxonomy of player types tend to also add to the discussion that it is quite a simplistic view on how people play video games. I took the test myself and it does pretty well reflect how I play video games and I've gotten a few friends to do it since recording this episode and it does have a pretty decent reflection But again, there's a lot of nuance there that it doesn't really pick up on, but definitely not the be-all or end-all of all player types of all video games. You can do your self-tests on this kind of thing, and I think I usually come up as explorer because when I play games, I want to explore the world and, like, the backstory and stuff like that. Mm. Um, I'm not really that interested in socializing on online games. Mm. I get enough of that in real life. Yeah. Um, I'm not really that interested in killing things. Um, I'm probably less so as I get older. Um, mm. And achiever, some some people are like um, really into like like completionists kind of thing. They really yeah. want to like tick all the boxes, you know, platinum trophy on PlayStation or whatever it is you're playing on. Mm. Uh, a lot of people like that. Uh, personally, I'm not like that. I uh, don't know why. It's just not my personality. So, yeah. but that, that's something that you know game designers will take into account when developing games. Mm. It also probably explains why, you know, different people are drawn to different games as well. Mm. So, to answer your question, Steph, what games do I like? (laughs) 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 Ones that appeal to my explorer nature. So, um, but I, look, I really get into the genre of like walking simulator, which is, we're now going pretty niche, but (laughs) but these, these are the games. like dad level of games right here. Yeah, yeah. Well, that's me. Um, These are games for anyone who's played Firewatch or Tacoma or Gone Home. Mm. uh, Games that kind of like it's an environment you kind of just walk around and the environment tells a story or maybe like. Yeah. In the case of Firewatch, you're basically a volunteer firefighter in a forest or firewatcher to make sure there's no fires being started. And the whole game, which is like five hours, you're you're conversing with one other character on a walkie-talkie, so you never actually get to see them. Mm. <laughs> but somehow, you know, one of the most emotional experiences that I've ever had in a game, just like yeah. an incredible story, incredible characters. 
incredible mm-hmm. world that you're exploring, even though it's a tiny little forest in Boulder, Colorado, I think. That's yeah. really interesting. Isn't that, I kind of love that. Just going into like even more into like video games and stuff, I just love the variety so much. Yeah, like, like totally. There's just, there's no way that you can say I play video games anymore. It's just like saying I watch yep. TV shows. Like, <laughs> I kind of tend to look for the balance in those video games because when we were talking about what the different kinds of gamers and that sort of thing, I find that I am at least partially explorer, but also I do like killing things in video yep. games. Yep. Um, and I found, like, over the course of my life, eventually, I found that I am a bit of an angry person by nature. <laughs> yep. um, and, like, I know how to deal with it. It's fine. But, like, that's one of the ways that I deal with it. I just, like, had a rough day at work, and so then I go and just kill some stuff on a video game. you find that cathartic kind of thing? Yeah. So do you find then, like, after a couple hours of killing orcs or (laughs) whatever you happen to be killing that night, um, Mm. do you feel better afterwards? Oh, yeah, yeah. And you kind of get into a groove as well. Like, um, there was one time I was playing Black Desert Online. That Korean MMO? Yeah, so the storyline, not great. It's fairly well known. Like, the backstory, storyline, not good. But, oh my gosh, the combos in combat are incredible. There was one time I was playing it and I spent probably a good hour just, like, doing different combos of, like, kills on a bunch of goblins. It's literally, it was all I did for, like, an hour. (laughs) And it just feels really good. Yeah. 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 I've def- I've definitely got friends who like that type of game. Mm. They they love learning all the combos and getting really good at all the timings and getting really good at playing it. Yeah. And um yeah, just love that same thing as well. Mm. Whereas my my little smooth brain is just like this is all too hard. I don't have time for this. Just give me some story. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so wholesome. That's not smooth brain at all. That's just like it's like, no, I just want to, like, snuggle up and play my little video game and enjoy it rather than having to get out anything, like... Yeah, it's a thing. Part of, part of this is maybe just, like, the way my life is and, like, commitments and stuff. Probably for the last, like, eight years, I found it really hard to stick to a game that's longer than, like, eight hours long. Hmm. And, like, as much as I want to and as much as I keep telling myself I'm going to finish each game I buy, I generally don't. <laughs> mm. Wait, so... Getting into it a little bit. Why sure. do you think... Let me hop on the couch. Did for- you say that's only a recent thing? <laughs> uh, I'm going to guess it's like the last eight years, but um, it's since I've been more conscious of my time, I think. And like, mm. you know, I said I work in the games industry as one of my jobs. And I've found there's been periods where I've said to people like, I would like to play that game, but I'm too busy making games. <laughs> kind of thing. <laughs> yeah. Okay. it's like... <laughs> Even though I probably enjoy the minute-to-minute more playing games, I get more satisfaction from the creating them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. That's exactly what it is. Playing video games and doing things that give you that, like, hit of dopamine is a lot of fun and definitely yep. going to be less grueling than, you know, going to work or working on something over a long period of time. But yeah. it's... There is a certain point where it's like, where is your satisfaction going to come from? You know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Oh, I was just going to say, that's one reason that you'll hear gamification 
<laughs> a mm. lot of non-gaming services. Uh, education does this a lot, but there's also like fitness does it a lot. Uh, if you've got a Fitbit or, you know, fitness tracker, anything where it's like giving you a lot of feedback to try and kind of keep you motivated. Um, mm. Most of that comes from video game design theory because mm. they've just found, you know, it keeps people engaged more. Mm. That is actually like one way that you can actually use game design <laughs> theory and tactics to actually like help you achieve other non-game goals as well. Yeah. And I know there's like to-do lists and stuff. There's there's one um is it like a goal setting thing? Uh called Habitica, I think yes. is its new name. Yeah. It used to be called like Habit RPG, I think yep. it was. Yeah. Which is basically like it's another one of the goal tracking apps, but you have like a little character there and every time you reach your goals Mm-hmm. And it's it's self-reported, so you do your goals in real life and then you, like, tick the boxes. It gives yeah. you experience points and then your character levels up. And, you know, so for certain people, this works really well, uh, for oh. especially pe- people who are into, like, these types of games. I just had an idea. We're coming up with ideas on this podcast. Yeah, what's that? Okay, there is a very serious crossover between gamers and people in general who go to the gym. Imagine, like, a Habitica-style thing where you have, like, a little avatar person and you get to like gear them up and level them up and improve things and get like different things for them and like go on little side quests with them and stuff based on your like progression at the gym maybe you should make that up or someone in our audience should make that up (laughs) yeah (laughs) (laughs) we're just podcasters we don't know how to make things (laughs) oh yeah yeah that's right Interestingly, a lot of researchers into gaming disorder call into question exactly how to define the disorder and at what point gaming becomes problematic. As we discussed here and earlier in the episode, there's a lot of positive aspects to gaming that can really help mental health, like gamification to help people achieve their goals, not to mention distraction techniques and re-socialising in a setting that's more comfortable and controlled for someone with social anxiety. And there's plenty of research that backs all of this up as well. On the other hand, there isn't much definitive research on how much of a negative effect gaming has on people. We discuss how it can be really helpful for some people who have trouble in their offline reality and that the detrimental effects of gaming can be just a matter of perspective. And it looks like researchers are also calling this into question too. That's not to say you can't be addicted to gaming. You absolutely can. But it looks like actually defining the addiction is a lot more difficult than it seems at first glance. And a lot of researchers are having this trouble as well. Going back to what we were saying before about like getting satisfaction from different things and, and where we get our satisfaction from, I kind of wonder if that plays a big part in how people use video games to help them deal with like really serious like depressive bouts um or anxiety or that sort of thing because yep. as we are now you and i um like functional members of society who are pretty good at dealing with our own mental health and we can very easily say that we get satisfaction from real life and like interacting with other people and spending time making things and being productive outside of virtual space yep but if you're someone who's quite deeply in depression or some kind of mental ill health your satisfaction probably doesn't really come from dealing with things in real life so much right 
So are you this saying... This is kind of speaking from experience a little bit too. <laughs> so in, in your experience, you find you get more satisfaction from online games or, or games than you do from most things in offline life? Yeah, in a certain headspace. Yes. Oh, when, when you're in that certain headspace? Yeah. Yeah, right. Yeah. And then do you find personally that when you're in that headspace and then you play games and you get more satisfaction, are you then able to navigate your way through that and then I guess back out of that mm. uh, in a manageable way? Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a bit of a push and pull because it's never going to be an easy thing to kind of yep. get yourself out of those sorts of headspaces. Yeah. But, you know, if you're really lacking confidence or just like really having trouble interacting with people on a day-to-day basis and then like you're it's actively hurting your mental health to a point then having the ability to like play games whether that's like online with other people or just kind of like spending time away from it and just kind of like recharging and playing games yourself can sort of help with boosting not confidence exactly but just like you're kind of like recharging the energy that you spent there i guess yeah and this is coming from me who has realized that i'm a massive extrovert and i love talking with people and all that sort of stuff (laughs) sometimes though you get into that like brain funk where it's just like everything you do in real life you you're in a bit of a a circle that's going round and round and you just can't like get out of it and sometimes just having the chance to get out of it and play games for a little bit and actually get the the satisfaction that you should be getting from real life things you're getting that from your game that can sort of boost you to a point where you can actually deal with real life again Just a note on active and passive distraction. This is a pretty well-documented technique to help with things like PTSD, trauma, and other emotional pain. All the documentation about this, though, does make it very clear that distraction as a technique is something that is only temporary. So it's not something that can help in the long term, but it is something that can help a person deal with emotional pain, trauma, uh, even physical pain in the short term. Some common examples of this that you might recognize are things like if someone is having a very anxious response to something that's happening, then the breathing techniques, focusing on your breathing, focusing on the feel of a fabric in your hand, those are all distraction techniques, very, very simple distraction techniques. Then there's things like uh, watching TV, listening to music, playing video games as well. So it's a whole slew of things that you can use uh, to distract yourself from pain in the short term. Yeah, yeah. No, I think that's a really good point. And actually, um, I want to ask a tough question on us, uh, <laughs> both of us. Mm-hmm. Uh, but first, Steph, did you grow up playing games? Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Okay, yep. so I did too, definitely. Mm-hmm. One thing I wonder is like with games, they're designed in a way so they feel like they reward your actions fairly and justly a lot more than real life often can Mm -hmm. and that's you know that's why people choose to play games (laughs) rather than do other things often um because there's so many you know chaotic forces in the world and you may not get what you think you deserve for various reasons you know Mm. Uh, whereas games will often give you exactly what you think you deserve and you know the rules of the game and it's very clear 
for us and for other people who have grown up with games, do you think that that then becomes part of our psychology that we almost expect that certain level of like reward system that is from at the video game level so that when we go around in, I'm going to call it offline life because what is real life anymore? (laughs) (laughs) Offline life, um, that it just never feels like it's as satisfying as what we expect in our heads? That's a really good question. That's a really good question. Okay, I'm just going to, like, talk for a second. Yep. Because I don't think it's a simple answer for me. Um, Because, yes, I think that definitely is a factor. But also, I also have factors of being a female who has chronic health conditions. And I just, there's a lot of things in real life, in offline life, that I am aware just makes things more difficult for me to exist, you know? Yeah, totally. Um, Like even like ADHD, um, type 1 diabetic, all that sort of stuff. Um, Like, and I, at this point, just kind of don't expect anything, I suppose. Like, if things go my way or if I get what I feel like I deserve, then it's, like, excellent, you know? Yeah. Um, I don't know if this is a good thing or not, but in my own head, I've just kind of, like, learned to enjoy getting the experience and the knowledge and the journey rather than being super goal-oriented. Goals are important, but not being so goal-oriented to the point where if I don't achieve those things, then it's the worst thing ever and I feel entitled to achieving those, you know? Yeah, yeah. So I think it's it's a little bit of a complicated thing. Yeah, totally, um, totally. I think maybe learning that took a little bit because I'm because I did grow up playing video games and things like that. But, yeah, at this point I think all of those things combined have just kind of meant that I don't really translate that to real life at all. Yeah, no, totally. That's um, I can definitely relate in some ways like obviously we're facing different things i i don't know if i currently feel like i get more satisfaction from games but i've definitely there's been long stretches of my life where i have felt that way Mm. and i guess i've always tried to take the approach of like how can i learn stuff and bring it back into real life but i think you know over the years i have realized (laughs) that you know you have a reward system in games that i guess um more than fair i think it's like trustworthy is probably Mm. the way to put it and like i'm not saying i've been screwed over or anything in real life in offline (laughs) world but it's just like there's so many forces at play and like as you said like if you if you're dealing with like your own health issues and other obstacles like there's that as well you can't expect x amount of work equals y result kind of thing Mm. it's it does sometimes awesome (laughs) yeah but yeah it's yeah that's kind of not how it works and i think you Part of what you touched on, um, I can't speak to this from personal experience, but I have seen like, for example, certain people with like certain disabilities and stuff who would otherwise feel very isolated um, have found communities through games, whether that's, uh, you know, online friends or, you know, um, anyone familiar with the game speed running scene that's become a thing Mm. in recent years where people try and finish games as quick as possible. Mm. And now you have you know, huge events such as Games Done Quick, which uh, raise millions of dollars for Doctors Without Borders and other charities. So so it's not a small thing. But, you know, you have like those kind of communities around the world that, you know, people are now comparing results and stuff like that. It's become its own sport. Mm. You've got eSports, competitive video game 
entire teams with matching uniforms and stuff like that. Yeah. And then you've got <laughs> video game streamers and you've got everyone that watches that and gets into that community as well. Mm. So I guess not just the games itself, but like all the kind of surrounding cultures as well, hopefully are having positive effects for a lot of people. 